Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today are Louis D'Souza and Anne-Marie Young. This is your Daily Dose of Happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. Now, there is one tiny problem with that intro in that Louis actually isn't here today. He's got some Wi-Fi issues going on, which, as you and I talked about before the show, is par for the course. Here. <laughs> but it's okay. Yeah, we'll just, you know, we'll just, look, at my, look what's happening with my background. My background is like going fuzzy. Like I'm, you know. It is a bit, isn't it? Like, it's like I'm sparkling on Star Trek or something. Oh, it's just your magic fairy dust. <laughs> that's what it is. That's what it is. Okay, well, hey, we got that straightened now, so that's good. But anyway, I wanted to start off today by sharing an email that we got about last week's show. It comes okay. from Deborah, who, uh, Deborah, uh, you'll know Deborah from, um, Bootcamp because um, I did also involved there, and she wrote to say, "Loving the new Monday combination. I think you all complement each other very well. Like the best recipes, the ingredients blend together nicely. And with Anne Marie's <sighs> mainly Kaya perspective and Louise Abrahamic slant, and you two blending th- and you blending the two, well, it makes for a yummy cake mix. Really enjoying. <laughs> it. So thank you all, and much appreciation wow. as always, Deborah. How about that? Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you, Deborah." Yeah. See, now you know what it's like to have to be on the other side of it, right? Because you've sent in an email yeah. before. Now you know what it's like to receive it on, on the show. It's, it's a good feeling. I feel like I've got my first bit of fan mail. Right? <laughs> exactly. That's the way it feels. It really does. Um, but the, and, I agree. I, I agree with her. Just having, because I haven't really oh, studied God, Abraham yeah. before. So listening to Louis talk about Abraham has been really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I've been listening more and more ever since and yeah i'm really glad i've been introduced to it it is a great mix too because really the stream and abraham are like 95 percent the same but yes. there's that five percent you know there's the esther flavor and there's the david flavor and they just they're well they're spice that's what that's where all the juices and the taste are involved it's really really good yeah so yes good stuff. indeed really good stuff also, now you sent me an email. We, we did some email exchanges and you sent me an email where you include a very interesting note. I want to share that note. You said, I'm contemplating after my book to try and set up some LOA kids course. And the plan yes. in my head is to try and get into schools. And I thought, whoa, we haven't talked about schools <laughs> in a long time. And it's a, it's a subject. I don't know if you're aware of this. It's a subject that's a, a real passion of mine because I actually helped to form an alternative school many years ago with my wife and some other people here in the local area. Very wow. alternative. And it's actually on a model called the Sudbury model, which Abraham has specifically mentioned in one of their podcasts as something that they support. That's how really radical this whole approach is. <sighs> so we've got stuff to talk about here today. This is going to be a good thing. Even though Louis isn't here to bring the Abraham approach, we, we've got a lot to talk about. This is good. So why don't you just, first of all, let's, let's, let's let you lay out some of your stuff for us. Okay. So you, you have this passion. You want to be able to do this LOA kids. I like the title. It has a similarity to LOA yeah. today. So of course, I don't <laughs> like that. but you, you have this idea in mind. Talk about the idea. What is it that you'd like to do? Well, I just think that this stuff is so pivotal, even not just for law of attraction, just for a positive mindset. Oh, and yes. so just to give, you know, this, this kind of gift to the kids. Mm-hmm. And grab them while they're young. I mean, just think if, if, if I knew this 40 years ago. Right. Then 
I'd yeah. literally be running the country, well. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you'd probably be too smart to run the country, but I understand your point. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do just think that, you know, if if we gave children the tools to have a positive mindset and to have the belief in themselves to achieve their dreams or whatever they want to be, how little, how big, whatever that may be, then I just think, wow, what a world that would be. I agree completely. In fact, um, David, David Strickle in the Tired Boot Camp group posted a, I think it was in Boot Camp, it was either in Boot Camp or Practice, I'm not sure which one, posted a, a thing that said, what is it that you like best about the stream? And my instant reaction was the introduction to the, um, uh, the, the meditation that, that's part of the boot camp, you know, that, that, that main meditation that you, that you do throughout boot camp. Yeah. Um, because of all the different ways that it, um, that it, uh, basically takes away all the, the angst regarding religion and so forth and, and, uh, yes. really emphasizes the, the, their willingness to be here to help, not to be worshipped, not to be, you know, ordering us how to live our lives or anything yes. like that. You know, so, so there's a strong freedom aspect associated with that. And then there was another post, and I don't remember exactly what that post said. I think it may have been a Stacy post, something along the lines of what is it that you wish that you had done differently when you were a kid or known differently or, you know, whatever along that line. And my reaction mm. was, I wish I had understood the value and importance of listening to my inner being, which I didn't even know a term for, but I really yeah. wish I had, because I mean, you, that's one of the things that gets trained out of you first when you're. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So to have actually been told you should trust that inner voice, especially when I was growing up, and it may, be, it may have been true while you were growing up too, but when I was growing up, anything along that line was hearing voices. I mean, you were a candidate for the loony bin. Time to start <laughs> yeah. off by the men in the white coats. That, that's how serious yeah. it was to pay attention to an inner voice. You know, so to have been told that, yes, that was a good thing, that would have been shocking, to be honest. That would yeah. have been absolutely shocking. I mean, I just remember as a child just feeling so lost. But one mm -hmm. thing that I did fully believe in was my intuition and my gut feeling. Oh, good for you. So I always knew to trust that and even if it was just something like we were watching the quiz show and it's like what's the answer to that and I'm like my stomach says it's this <laughs> <laughs> I love it I love it <laughs> uh, so yeah and just like playing games I used to use it so I yeah I had that but I just think if I had known the power that we have inside of us if I'd known that when I was a child and just to trust myself and to release the fear, I think that's a massive one. Mm. And it's one thing I'm, you know, trying to teach my kids is like, release that fear. Don't worry about things. Um, don't focus on what you don't want. Focus on what you do want. Right. I just think it's so impactful. It is. It's very impactful. Mm. And, and can you imagine? Well, let's let's play a little game here. Let's do a little imagine this, okay? Can okay. you imagine what you might have done differently? Say starting at school age if you had been given that message oh well actually one of my transgressors out of boot camp was me starting school oh really okay yeah yeah because we just moved away from all our friends uh, and then I suddenly was ripped apart from my mum and that was right. something I went back so I think if I had known back oh, when I was a, starting school do you know what 
I think it would be Louis's advice. What? Give happiness. Mm. Have fun. Give happiness. I was such a serious child. Mm-hmm. I know that. And just, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, let me tell you, I really know that feeling. <laughs> yeah. So I think just, I think that would have been amazing. Mm. And I would have certainly lived differently because I feel like I've lived differently since Louis said that in the last three weeks. Wow. Okay. That's pretty cool. Mm. But what do you think you've yeah. done differently at that age, though? I mean, that's hard to imagine because yeah. what we go through when we're young, it's kind of ingrained and granted in our minds, so to speak. But imagine, just pretend, like play pretend for a moment. What would you have done differently? I struggling with that one, Mal. I think I, I would have just... I would have lived in the moment a bit more rather than worrying about yeah. everything. Yeah. I know one thing I, if I asked myself that question, one of the things I think would have happened and what that I would have done. See, I, I'm kind of like you on, on the point of, I wish that I had been told repeatedly that I am worthy, that I am I can do anything I want to do. I can be anything that I want to be. I don't have to be in a straitjacket. I don't have to yes. please others. I don't have to meet other people's standards. And yeah. that I should really be confident in myself because I have so much to give and because I am a unique being. And as a unique being, we all have something to give, something really important to give. And and to be told that I'm special and that I'm really, I'm, I'm a great person and that I, I you know, that I can do whatever I want. I can be whoever I want. I am really that I'm good enough to do that. To be given those messages, I know one thing I would have done right off the bat. I would have felt confident enough to be more open to and more um, initiating on making friends. Because right. Is that something that you struggled with? I really struggled with that. And I struggled with yeah. that into my 20s and into my 30s. I mean, it took me a long time. By my 30s, I finally was starting to take little tiny baby steps away from that. But I mean, yeah. it was it was sort of a mini trauma from all my time growing up. Yeah. But if I had had that level of confidence, well, first of all, it would have been fun because then I could actually have more friends. I mean, I had some friends, don't yeah. get wrong, but I could have had more friends and I could have been more selective about who my friends had been and so forth. And I think I probably would have been a lot less frustrated and angry with what what felt like that straitjacket because that's what it felt like to me. I felt like I was in a straitjacket right up until the time I graduated from public school. I mean, throughout that entire 12-year period, it was like that. And is that because you understood this and just didn't know about it? Well, not understood it, but was experienced. Well, well, I can, I can, I can verbalize it now. I would not have been able to verbalize this back then because I didn't have mm. the words for it. I didn't, I didn't yeah. have the verbiage. But if I had had this verbiage, if I'd had this clarity that we get from studying this stuff, that the clarity alone would have given me a lot more confidence, even if I wasn't hearing yeah. it from parents and teachers and so forth. Just the clarity would have given me confidence, confidence that yeah. I definitely did not have. I mean, I may have been tall and you know, and so therefore big and perhaps imposing to other people, but I sure didn't feel imposing, not yeah. in the least. I there there were no corners small enough for me to not crawl into them. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, I, I was wow. pretty terrified of my own shadow. I really was. 
And it wasn't so much that I was terrified of my own shadow. I was terrified of the world. I was terrified of where am I going to screw up next? Who's going to pick on me? What's going to happen here? You know, I, I remember one time in what is now known here in the U.S. as middle school. At the time, it was known as junior high school. Basically, um, the middle year, seven, eight, nine years yeah. of, of schooling. Yeah. Um, I think it was my seventh or eighth year. I was out in the, we had sort of a, a common play area, I guess you could call it. It was, you know, it was for sports and, and for recreation and things like that. And of course, very controlled and restricted and only during gym class and all that kind of thing. But nevertheless, that's yeah. where it was all supposed to take place. And there, there was one gym class where I think we were playing touch football, um, American style football and I had what was known at that time as a CPO jacket, which basically dates back to the World War II years. It was a style of jacket. Um, yeah. and it was very popular among kids my age at that time. And I had put it on the side. And when I went to get it after the games were over, it was gone. And later on that day, I saw it being worn by another guy who was a kind of a mean kind of guy. And he saw me and I saw him. He looked at me and gave me this nasty look like, don't you dare say anything. And I didn't. I didn't dare wow. say anything. Yeah. Now, I did lose a jacket out of it, but I lost more than that. Yeah, yeah. I lost self-esteem. Yeah, confidence. Yeah. I mean, that just, it, it wasn't like a major scar, but I remember it. <laughs> I definitely mm. remember it to this day. And I well, know. I think that sounds quite traumatic. Well, I know for a fact if I had had any level of clarity along the lines of what we're talking about back then, that mm. would have played out differently. How differently, I yes. can't say exactly. Um, I probably wouldn't have physically attacked the guy because I just wasn't that kind of person. But um, let, let's just say I wouldn't have had any trouble bringing it up to the authorities. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And he would have gotten in trouble and so on and so forth. Mm. But how little of a difference there is between those two. Yeah. Right? What's the only difference? The only difference yeah. is how you feel about yourself. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was still quite confident, but I was a very kind of like hyperactive child and mm -hmm. I struggled to focus and people just like, just my brother was super intelligent. Oh, bless him. He, he got the brains. And, um, and so everybody's just him? like, oh, well, <laughs> yeah, are, are I was you, the second. You, you, oh, so you had the same situation my sister had because I was the one with oh, the really? she called me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's, yeah. that's a rough way to come up. It really is. It was. And everybody was like, oh, Alan's so intelligent. And Amory, mm -hmm. bless Amory. <laughs> She's yes, right. It wasn't into <laughs> when I started writing poetry about like seven or eight, people were like, oh, she takes it in. And that's when people started taking me serious because always I was always just like, oh, we can't cope with Amory, and mm. she's just scatterbrain or just oh my, really crazy wild. kid. So, and it wasn't until actually I started writing, which is probably why I love it so much, yeah. that people were like, whoa, actually, you know, she takes in the world. So, but I, I get the whole the the people that say things to you, mm. then it sticks, doesn't it? Oh yeah. And yeah. I've actually, I've actually had to detune de that mm -hmm. recently. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's, you know, 40 odd years later, it still pops up. And then I but unfortunately, we know what to do now. Yeah. How about that? At least we get it. Yeah. Thank God. It took, may have taken but, a number of decades to get there, but we got there. We finally got there. Yeah. 
that's a big goal. But that's why I think it'd be great to go to school. So if we can give school kids the chance to do it like there and then or within a 10-year time, that, you know. That's why I love the Sudbury model so much. The Sudbury model is radical. There's no other Can you tell me about it? Essentially, it is a model of schooling where there is no prescribed structure. So in other words, the kids can basically do whatever they want to do every single day. Okay. Which is really <laughs> out there. That's something that, that'll terrify most parents, let me tell you. <laughs> well, and, I, they, actually, they actually do a little bit of that at my daughter's school. They do? They, oh, call, it ex- they, call, they call it explorative learning. Okay. And so they, they give, get given their challenges, say five challenges a week, which is five pieces of work, and they have to go off. So it's not as free, 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 but it is still right. quite free. But actually, my daughter can think a way out of a problem like nobody else now because her, her brain's well, been like it. to do it herself. That's exactly what happens. And, and it happens to an even greater degree the more the freedom that they are, are acknowledged. I, I, I hesitate to say given because what, what it really amounts to is not taken away. <laughs> it was mm. theirs all along. We just were taking it away from them. And they were taking it away from us when we were growing up. Um, but when you have a, a, a school situation where the kids literally control every aspect every day, of every day, um, I mean, it terrifies the parents because the parents think, well, they're just going to play all day long. They're not going to learn anything, which is not true. That's actually not the way it happens. They do play a lot. They play. There's a lot of play. There's a tremendous, tremendous amount of social interaction, far more than you'll ever get in any other kind of school. And that yeah. social interaction, it turns out, is key to the most successful learning you can do. Yes. I fully it's agree. Totally key. Totally key. Um, for instance, every kid, now the, I'll, I'll give you the background. The, the Sudbury model comes from a school in Eastern Massachusetts near Boston called the Sudbury Valley School. And not surprisingly, it was a little section called the Sudbury Valley. The town is actually called Framingham. And the Sudbury Valley School was founded in 1969, I think it was, 68 or 69. Back the 60s, of course, that's when a lot of experimental stuff was going on, particularly in education. Absolutely. And so this was one of the experiments that was going on. And it's one of the ones that actually succeeded um, and has survived to this day. The model began and ended with the kids controlling their, their own day. And what has happened during that time period, which is you know, well over 50 years now, is they have been able to document what has happened with the kids that have gone through those schools, particularly the ones who started from their, their first day in school and went all the way through to the end. Those are the ones that are really, really interesting. The others are interesting too, the ones that come in part way through. Those also have interesting stories. But the really interesting ones is what happens to the ones who come in and go out with no structure, with no required classes, no curricula, no grades, none of that. That's all gone. What happens to them? What happens is, first of all, 100% of them learn to read before age 12, which stuns educators who believe that. So that's they taught themselves to read. What's really interesting is they teach. Usually, they teach each other to read, but there are times where they teach themselves to read, or they teach themselves to read in ways that nobody else can see. And I'll tell you one of the most fascinating. Now, this I'll grant you. This is more one of the most extreme stories from a very extreme school. Okay, so this is not. <laughs> but but this did actually happen. There was a kid who went to the, to the original school, the one in Massachusetts, and from day one, he went 
fishing on a little pond that's on the property. Now, this is a six acre property. It used to be um, a nunnery actually. And uh, there's, there's the main building, there's a side building, and those are like the school buildings, so to speak. And then there's like all this outdoor area for play and whatever they want to do. And there's this little pond, there's a bridge over the pond, it's picturesque, it's absolutely gorgeous property. Um, it's on a hill. And this kid went fishing every day, every single day. I mean, every single day. Um, th there was a serious question of whether there were actually any fish in the pond, but that didn't seem to matter. <laughs> <laughs> Because he just went and he took his fishing gear. He didn't have, he didn't make friends. He just hung out by himself fishing. And every year, the lead, um, staff member, they don't really have titles. They're not like teachers or administrators. They're, they're staff members. The lead staff member, one of the lead founders, Daniel, um, would be approached by the father of this particular kid saying, I understand the model, but my kid spent all of last year fishing. That's all he did. I mean, he's not really learning anything. And Daniel kept saying to him, you have to trust the model. You have to trust how this works. You have to trust your kid. So, okay. And then every year it'd be the same thing for like three years running. And then finally one day, this kid approached one of the staff members and said, I want to learn how to use a computer. And the staff member, first of all, was the first time he'd ever talked to the kid. So he was kind of stunned. And secondly, he said, okay, um, well, a few things, first of all, uh, in order to use a computer, now, by the way, this was um, 1980s, so the computers were relatively new, yeah. personal, compu personal yeah. computers were just kind of coming in and so forth. And you didn't have the, the major programs that you had today. I mean, Word was this little tiny program. There was, I mean, they, they were pretty meager at that point. Most yeah. of it, you had, you had to be able to do some degree of programming in order to make it work at all. That's right. So the staff member says to him, well, you know, in order to learn how to use a computer, you're going to have to learn how to read first. And the kid says, well, I know how to read. And the staff member said, really? He said, yeah. When did you learn how to read? When I was fishing. Okay. Well, in addition to learning how to read, there's programming involved. So you're going to also have to learn some mathematics, at least some basic arithmetic, because that's a key portion. Oh, I know how to do math. When did you learn how to do math? When I was fishing. To this day, no one knows how this kid learned English, reading, math, writing, but he learned it while he was fishing. Fishing. Wow. And he went That's and went, amazing. He went on to graduate from the school, went on to, I think he went on to higher education somewhere, and then got hired as a, a computer person by Hewlett Packard and ended up as a vice president. Whoa. Right, I'm sending yeah. my kids fishing. I mean, that, that's one of those spooky stories. <laughs> like, that's literally sent shivers down my spine. Right? Right? That's, that's just a, crazy. I've told that I love it. probably a hundred times, and it still sends those shivers down my spine. Yeah. How the hell did he How? do it? But he did. Did he have... Uh, uh, well, I mean, he did it in a way that obviously was perfect for him yeah, in an environment absolutely. that he was just going to take in and absorb it. And he was thriving. To the yeah. outside, untrained eye, that kid was in trouble. But he yeah. was thriving. He was absolutely wow. thriving. Here's another story. That This next story is much more typical of the kids who go through um, the, uh, the, the, the subway school. Um, and it, it's a story about how kids tend to learn math. Now they, they tend to learn reading. They tend to teach each other reading. 
That's the most common yeah. way that, that they that they learn how to read. Math to a lesser extent, but it happens more often in other ways. And, and this story tells one particular way out of many that kids will learn how to do math. Now this school, because the kids are in control of their day, they also administer the school. There's a school meeting, so-called, that is basically um, the, the legislature, if you will. You know, it's the House of Commons or it's the, it's the Congress. And yeah. they make all the rules, they set the budget, they do all of it. They run the whole thing. Um, and everybody has one vote and there are a lot more kids than there are staff members. So the kids really do have total control of the school. Yeah. The school is probably, I don't know what the current enrollment is. Last I checked, there were around 250, something like that. So it's not a really big school, but it's mm. a good size. You know, it's a good size school. And I, I think it's probably bigger than that now, but probably not too much bigger just because the property can't handle a lot more than that. But, um, you know, the, the kids really take their role seriously. They have a judicial system for infractions to rules that they have set as a school meeting. The, the, the judicial system is called the Judiciary Committee. And there is a whole set of rules that they've established on how that operates and so forth. And, and the, the methods that they have used to engage in conflict resolution are just astonishingly good. <laughs> really, really, really good. Yeah, it's impressive. Um, and then another thing that happens is because the kids are basically setting their own terms, they are also socializing. So they're getting together in groups and coming in and out of groups and so forth. So groups become a way to organize, to do things, especially right. for common interests. Mm -hmm. Um, just to give you an example, there was a time period, I think in the nineties when plasticine playing with plasticine, making models and so forth out of plasticine was really popular at the school. And they had a whole club that was designated and, and organized around it. And they, they, they had these kids were all building this plasticine city with all, you know, the people and the buildings and, and the trees and the shrubberies. And I mean, the whole thing, they were just intricate detail. And then they had a war and destroyed the whole thing. But I mean, <laughs> it gives, gives you the idea of what they do, you know? And so these kids got together to form this one particular group. I'm not sure what the group was organized for, but they had a particular topic and they needed to raise money because they wanted to do things. They needed to buy things for the group. And that's another thing that happens. The kids, I mean, they're just like any other school. Money isn't unlimited. They, their tuition is, is you know, fairly moderate. It's not high. It's not low. It's fairly moderate. Um, so there is some money to work with, but it's not unlimited. So very often a group that's starting up needs to figure out how to raise some money. And, you know, they'll, they'll organize sales of various kinds and so forth to try mm -hmm. to, to raise money. But it's all initiated by the kids. So this one group gets together and they want to start raising money for their particular project or their interest or whatever it is. And they realize they're going to have to be able to handle the money. So they realize, okay, we got to learn some math. Well, they haven't studied any math. So the, the whole group goes to one of the staff members and says, we want to learn math. And the staff member was the same founder, the Daniel, the same guy we talked about earlier, Daniel Greenberg. Um, yeah. And so Daniel, first, one of the first things that staff members learn to do when kids approach them is to be skeptical because usually in, in the first few attempts, it's trying to find some way to scam the adult into getting what the kids want, the, the kids, what the adult, what the kids want the adult to do, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah. So they don't really have any intention of actually doing things like learning how the math <laughs> goes, you know, but you know, he, he understands that game. So he played that game until he finally realized they were serious. They really were interested in learning math. 
And so they worked out a contract, so to speak, of, okay, we're going to meet now, I don't know, three days a week. We're going to uh, meet for an hour a day. Um, you're going to do some homework to try to learn all this stuff. And uh, you know, they, they basically scoped the whole thing out. Those kids learned the first six years of math in 10 weeks. Because they wanted to. Exactly. They had that thirst for it, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. And, and Daniel actually asked a friend of his who worked in the public school system, who was, a, I believe, the head of a math department, and asked him about that. And, and the friend said, well, that doesn't surprise me at all. He says, why not? He says, because if the kids were really interested, we could teach them the whole thing in 10 weeks. It's just that we're having to spoon feed them all the time because they won't pay any attention. Yeah. And that's the thing. You're also telling them what to do, when to do it. Exactly. You know, they don't want to do it. You've got kids who've got this thirst to learn. I mean, kids are always going, why, why, what's this, what's this, why is that? You know, kids really have this thirst to learn. And if you do it in a way that's, that's comfortable for them and exciting for them. I mean, they're learning the most amazing life skills, aren't they? Oh, they are. They're like little adults. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, if you think about it, the way that we insist that kids learn in, in, in the structured public schools and so forth is the kids have to learn on the adults' terms. The, the yes. adult sets the curriculum. The adult mm-hmm. decides, okay, you're going to study English now, and then uh, you're going to spend the next period studying history, and then the next period studying math, and the next period you're going to study some French, and you know, it's, it's that kind of a thing, right? Mm. Pays absolutely no attention to what the kids are interested in and basically doesn't trust that anything that the kids are interested in is going to lead to any actual learning. That's yeah. why the adults have to set the standard. That's what the belief system is. What yeah. this kind of school has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that that whole thought process is bunk. It's absolute. It, it's pure teacher ego is all it is. Isn't it? And to be fair, even the teachers, I mean, don't get me wrong, get amazing teachers out there, but some of the mm-hmm. teachers aren't even passionate about what they're teaching, are they? They're bored stiff. They, you know, they've mm-hmm. been over it over and over again. So they're not bringing that passion to the subject to enthuse the children either. And, and more importantly, if the kid isn't really interested, how passionate are they going to be? Well, they're not, are they? They're not. No. Yeah. And then the, that's where the fear starts to come in. That's that's why we have the system we have. It isn't so much that it's the egos. I kind of touched on that, but it didn't really that. It's the fear. It's the adult's fear that if the adult doesn't set the tune, the kid won't learn it. Yeah. And that's the lie. Because it actually isn't true at all. No. Because every single Not kid who's gone through that subway school without a single ounce of structure, every one of them has learned how to read. They've all developed the level of math skills that they needed, which was different from one to the next, the ones yeah. who needed to learn how to write, learn how to write, the ones who didn't care, put that off until later on. And then they also learned some other stuff that you don't learn in the public schools or even in private schools, like basic life skills. Yes, because they don't teach things like money, do they? I mean, that's one thing, how to do your finances, right. understanding about the economic system and things like that. That's That's what you need. That's what's going to take you through life, isn't it? You have to become an economics major in college if you want to actually get there through the public system. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. It is though, isn't it? You realize that they are crazy. So (laughs) (laughs) But it's so true. It's so true. And 
there's another now some people have claimed that well it's that particular model well it's not just that particular model there are other models that have demonstrated the same thing for instance in um the homeschooling movement there is a subset of homeschooling called unschooling i don't know if you're familiar with it it's essentially the same idea but done on a homeschooling yeah. basis um and yeah. it has produced very much the same kind of results and then one of the really coolest things and i should have done some research before we did the show today there is a gentleman from india an educator who did a series of, of little experiments and continues to do them to this day um again very cutting edge very much out there to see what it would take to help kids coming from quote disadvantaged unquote backgrounds to learn better mm-hmm. his first experiment was brilliant it was in one of the larger cities in india i don't know which one it was i'll just say it was mumbai but i don't really know and he went to the poorest neighborhood the poorest neighborhood in the in the city and he set up obviously he had funding for this but he set up a pc plugged into the wall of a building from the sidewalk street level kid okay. height connected to the internet in english in a neighborhood that did not speak english and none of the kids knew english and none of the kids because it was such a poor neighborhood had even been to school yes and he left it there for a year and then came back and after one year all the neighborhood kids had taught each other english had taught each other how to use the, the the computer and were exceeding what the kids in the public schools of other areas of the, of the city and the other areas of the country were doing simply through that street level computer that's incredible which absolutely puts a lie to all the stereotypical beliefs about how schools should operate I mean, it does, they just threw the whole thing out the window. It threw the, it threw the, the teachers out the window, it threw the administrators <laughs> out the window, it threw the structure out the window, it threw all of it out the window and said, yeah, take this and show it. I mean, look at what this thing produced. And then once yeah. again, the critic said, well, that was just a one off. And so he did it again <laughs> and again. And now he's done it in numerous countries and he's, he's brought all these different concepts to a lot of different countries and they're all starting to adapt it on little small yeah. levels. And I keep thinking to myself, every time I think about that guy and his experiments, every time I think about the subway people, everything, every time I think about the unschooled, every time I think about people who are in our circles who are understanding how energy works and how uh, inner being works and so forth and who are teaching it to their kids. Wow, that's exciting. Yeah. I mean, you, you and I may not have gotten it, but some of them are getting it now. Uh, that's just wonderful to hear. Because I've, I struggled at school. I didn't want to sit down at a desk and be told what to write and told what to do. You know, my, like I said, I was a little child running around crazy. I wanted to go out and explore and I was still taking it in because I was writing about it. Mm-hmm. You know, in my own time, I was writing all this poetry. Um, but yeah, I want to go to that school. Right. Exactly. That's the way it felt for me when I was helping to found our version of that school. I was helping yeah. to find a school that I wish I could have gone to that I wanted to go to desperately. Amazing. Amazing. And that's, that's, I mean, I love that concept. I might even take that over here as well, but, there you, go. All right. <laughs> you know, but you know, it's, I just think children are sponges, aren't they? They're they really sponges are. for knowledge, they're sponges for education. 
be it on YouTube and what we as parents don't necessarily agree with, but they're learning stuff. My daughter comes out with things, you know, and knowledge. I'm like, fair play, kid. Um, but to, to do that and just to give them that freedom. Wow. I love hearing yeah. about that world. Yeah, I know. I love talking about it. I mean, every time I talk yeah. about it, I get a glow. It just, it yeah, I feel really excited. Yeah, <laughs> it is exciting. It's very exciting. And whenever I also talk and think about it, I also think about people I know who are doing it right now. I think about the kids, now, the school that we founded, we had no money at all. I didn't know anything about law of attraction. If I had, I would have known how to attract the money, but I didn't. So we, we, we basically started <laughs> open and it stayed open for years with no money um, or very, very little money. It was just impoverished. But despite that fact, we still had our success stories, which was really, really hmm. cool. Um, and one of my favorite ones that I love to tell when we started the school, we started with a grand total population of nine kids, yeah. with their parents and so forth. And one of them didn't even come the first year. He, he was signed up by his foster parent because the foster parent believed in it, but he had no belief in it at all. So he never came. <laughs> so it was actually eight kids. <laughs> and one of those eight kids was a young lady who was about 12 years old at the time. And it was mostly older kids, interestingly enough. I mean, there was one girl who was about six and all the rest of them were 12 to 17. So they were all in their teens or, you know, junior high to high school yeah. here in the U.S. And this one girl, she was probably the youngest of that group. She was from, she, she had lived in foster care most of her life. Her father had basically abandoned the, the family from the moment she was born. Her mom was a struggling mom who had her own issues. Um, yeah. She had like all the different diagnoses that that kind of kid gets. Um, she was diagnosed ADHD. Um, she was labeled a troublemaker. She was constantly in trouble. Um, she was an angry kid. She was a very angry yeah. kid. And I was really motivated to get them in because I knew her mom could not afford the tuition. Now, our tuition wasn't high, but I knew her mom couldn't do it. There was no way yeah. her mom could do it. And nobody in the subway system, no, this, I say system, there, at the time there were probably, I don't know, a dozen to a dozen and a half schools around the world following the same model. So this was not a really large community of schools, but none of them had any kind of system for somebody who didn't have the money to get in. So I decided to subvariize it a little bit and we'd be the first one. We'd find some way to subsidize getting this kid in. And I ended up inventing a system of, of um, basically a, a, a stepping scale now, if you have this much income, then you pay this much and so on and so forth. So, and, and I, I designed the scale specifically to her mother so that her mother could actually. Afford so that it. she could get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> I love it. <laughs> and she did. And so she went to the school and had challenges. They all had various challenges because a lot of them were what, the biggest challenge for somebody coming in who is, who is not doing it from the first year is they have all the baggage that comes from having gone to public school. So they're having to unlearn all the stuff that they've learned, so to speak, all the stuff that was holding them back. It's kind of like a yeah. boot camp for kids when they go, when they go through that. It sounds like it, doesn't it? it? It's just it really re reprogramming. Except that they don't have quite the guidance that we have in a boot camp. There, there was no <laughs> right? 
No. <laughs> so it, it was probably a little bit harder for them in that sense. It was easier in the sense, though, that because their kids, they just don't have enough years of baggage to, to have it match what an adult has. Adults have much more baggage. Mm. So that helps a little bit. Anyway, um, I was there for the first half a year, and then Louise and I moved um, away to Virginia. So we, we missed all the rest of it, which has always been a bit of a regret for me. But during the time that we were away, she thrived. She got better and better. She started finding her self-confidence. And by the time she was 17, I think it was, she was the president of the school and one of its biggest advocates. And today she falls in that same category. She's now in her late 20s, probably around 30, something like that. It's been a few years since I've talked to her, but just turned into a completely different human being. She was completely off all her meds. She was no longer the angry child. She was a yeah. happy young woman. That's and beautiful. That's like, there, there is no better story for me. I mean, I can tell much more dramatic stories, but that to me, I, I just think about her and I say to myself, wow, my life is justified. I helped her to turn her life around. Didn't you? And do you think it, it, she kind of appealed to you because we, we got labeled as children. Oh, as, sure. you know, like you say, at the tall one, the serious one, this one, this one. And she'd been labeled with all those labels, ADHD, hyperactive, troublemaker. Yeah. And do you think you related to her and you just wanted to give her her freedom? And I made it clear to all the kids that that's what we were doing. Yeah. In fact, here's a, here's a really cool story. We started organizing this the, about the same time as 9-11. Right. And we opened the school on the one-year anniversary of 9-11. And we chose that date deliberately. But three week, three months before that, we still didn't have basic issues figured out. Like, how were we going to pay for all of it? And what tuition were we going to set? And who was going to be staff members? Because you had to have some staff members in order to satisfy the state. They wouldn't let you just go willy-nilly. You had to have some degree of structure to satisfy them. And I mean, there were like a whole bunch of these very basic issues we had not ironed out. And the ones who made it happen were the kids. Because they were at really? all the meetings. They were all at the meetings. And when they realized that this could become reality and that it was starting to fall apart, they were the ones who insisted that it had to open didn't matter how. Just oh, there's his chills anyway. again. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's just this makes me so happy. <laughs> it's an amazing experience to go through too, to 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 just have been a part of it. Now, I, I was more than a part of it. I actually was the, the lead organizer, the lead founder. Um, well, mm -hmm. two of us, me and and a woman named Chris. The the two of us were basically the leads, and. We went through a lot to get it opened, but it was worth every step of the way. Wow. I, I, I can imagine. It sounds incredible. I feel so proud of you, Walt. I feel proud of me. Good. <laughs> and, and, and that was, you talked about transgressors. Um, as usual, parents play a, a transgressor role. In my case, it, uh, uh, one of the transgressors was that I was never really taught self-confidence. They didn't know how to teach me that. They, they just, they didn't have it themselves. You know, how can they teach me what they don't have? Right. Um, but as okay. a result, I had to learn that on my own. And that was like, that was almost me graduating in terms of 
developing my own self-confidence. Yeah. Just just going through helping to set up that school, helping to give those kids that that opportunity to live that life for however many years they were going to do it. And it was going to be different for every one of them because they all had coming at different ages. But yeah. they all had that. that so you all grew. Yeah, they oh absolutely every single one that I know about. I haven't been able to keep track of But and yourself and all the and adults that were involved with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you that it was all rosy. I mean, there were some people who didn't grow. Some people who fought it every step of the way, and I can think of a few of them, a few of who of, uh, of the ones who didn't grow a whole lot, and they're the ones who ended up shutting the school down. Oh, uh, so the school shut now, is it? The school closed um, a year or two ago. Yeah, and I remember coming when Louise and I came back to this area from Virginia. The school was in trouble, and we went to help, and I basically didn't pull any punches. I said, "You guys are pulling the strings too much here." You, know, you're, you guys are, are you're trying to impose your your adult stuff on on the thing, and you're you're basically scaring potential new people away and so forth. And oh, they hated that. They pushed isn't that back. funny though? Yeah. Oh, they pushed back in a big way. To, but the whole back so, of the school. They pushed back so hard that Louise and I said, "Okay, we're out of here," because the subway mile says we're going to take our hands off. So we're going to take our hands off. And if you guys go down, it's up to you. You know, we've given you the information. It's up to you what you do with it. And they took it down. Yeah. Wow. But even that's good. The... Even well, that's yes. Good. Because ultimately, the ones who brought it down, now they have to live with that. Exactly. But they proved that the structure and trying to control the children wasn't the way, way well, to do it. they didn't actually try to control the children. What they tried to do is control the incoming parents and the incoming kids. Okay. And, and so they didn't get any incoming kids. Right. And that, that's what killed the, the school. Yeah. 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 So what, did they have exams and things like the, the other? Very children? rare that any kid who goes to the school um, takes any exams. What they, even graduating from, from school, um, it, it, it's very informal. And it actually differs, differs from school to school and from kid to kid what that looks like. But what... Yeah. What's interesting from a parent's point of view, because parents are mostly, particularly in this country, they're interested in, okay, but how's my kid going to get into college? Because that, that's that's the big rule in this country. If you can't go to college, you're not going to have the life you want to have, which is baloney, but nevertheless, that's what's taught. And because of that, there's a very, very, very heavy influence by parents in this country on my kids got to go to school. Well, mm-hmm. turns out that the kids who come through a subway school develop enormous levels of self-confidence. And because they have enormous, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, enormous levels of self-confidence, nothing stops them. Yeah. One of the best examples is the story of a girl who wanted to get into a school near where Louise and I live. It's called uh, Wesleyan University. And I don't know how she found out about it, but apparently it had a program that was exactly what she needed. So that's why she decided to apply to be there. The only problem was that she applied after the application period was over. (laughs) (laughs) she sent in her application anyway and uh being a subway kid didn't phase her in the least that the application period was over so she sent the application in and then she called the office of admissions the next day and said i want to come to the school and the admissions officer said oh well that's wonderful but you'll have to wait till next year because the admissions period closed this year no 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 i want to come this year i'm sorry you, you can't come this year so the next day she calls up and says hi i want to come to the school (laughs) 
<laughs> and then the next day she calls up and says, hey, I want to come to this school. And then the next day she calls up and says, I want to come to this school. And after about 30 I days, love this that, <laughs> the dean of admissions got wind of it after a while and said, who is that? He says, oh, it's this girl. She she wants to come to the school. She, she, she might probably, she might do well here. She comes from one of those alternative schools, but she might do okay here. But she applied after the admissions period was over. He says, Get her in here for an interview. <laughs> if somebody's that eager. Yeah. The admissions officer said, yeah, but you're, you're, you have all of your schedule full of interviews from people who've already applied. There's no, he says, find 15 minutes. Just give me 15 minutes with her. So they squeezed in 15 minutes early before the day actually was supposed to begin. Her mother and her came into the, the school, into the admissions office, met with the dean for a 15 minute meeting that lasted 45 minutes. And after that 45 minute period, the dean and the girl came walking out of his office, arm in arm, his hand <laughs> on her shoulder, walked over to the mother and said, I hope your daughter decides to apply to go here. She's exactly what we're looking for. And she got into the school. That's the you kind of school. That. That's the kind of student that comes through the school. They have total confidence. Nothing phases yeah. them. Nothing scares them because they haven't been scared. They haven't been terrified. They haven't felt controlled. They haven't been told you aren't good enough. You know, they haven't been told that you, you didn't score high enough with your grades. They haven't been told any of that stuff. So they mm -hmm. literally are fearless. <laughs> that's incredible. And that's it. Because how many times do we stop ourselves as adults when we leave school? Oh, how do we stop God. ourselves? Because we're scared. Oh, I don't exactly. want to do that. That's out of my comfort zone. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what makes us grow. Yep. Isn't that amazing? Oh, you just made me even more determined. Well, I'm absolutely loving it. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's too bad Louis isn't here because he could tell us his daughter's been on the show. I don't know if you knew that. He has two daughters. His older daughter's yes. been on the show a few times. And Isabel. Isabel. And, and she exemplifies somebody who, I mean, she goes through public schools. But she goes through it the Louis de Souza way, which is, you know, hey, I'm not going to force any school rules. So you, you do whatever you want to do. <laughs> I love that too. Now she's a completely different personality from him. She's a very quiet personality. Um, and I don't know if you can actually hear it in her voice in the podcast. I've only seen her in terms of, you know, seeing her like you and I are seeing each other through Zoom or through yes. the yard, um, and experienced her that way. But she is quietly confident. Yeah. She knows herself. She knows her wants. She, she has, she is learning through Louis' help to trust her ability to attract. She, she's just, she's developing these the skill sets. Um, I don't know what issues she's run into with the public schools. There may be none. There may be lots. I really don't know, but it's fun to see the influence that he and his wife have had in terms of mm. basically saying, okay, you're free. Do what you want to do. Here's the here's here's how it's done. You know, here here's yeah. the, the here's the law of attraction trick. <laughs> but you know what? It's beautiful to see a child, or she's a young adult, I guess. But um, I to have the confidence, that. yeah, to have that confidence to go on air mm -hmm. and give her opinions. Yeah. Not a lot would do that. So no. that just shows it works, doesn't it? And and. As Louis says, she, she doesn't have a whole lot to say about law of attraction, which is what we talk yeah. about a lot. You know, so her her involvement is limited in that sense. 
um, I, I usually try to find some way to ask a question that will encourage her to talk about what she knows and what she cares about. And when I do that, she's pretty eloquent. But most of the time, she's just quiet. She's quietly sitting there and doing what you talked about. She's absorbing like a sponge. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But he's great. allowing her to do that, which is just lovely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I kind of expect his younger daughter is going to show up. I, she actually did show up on camera one time toward the end of one show. But she's going to show up one day. And from what I understand, she's an entirely different personality from her sister. So <laughs> that's going to be explosive, I think. <laughs> well, that's going to be exciting because she actually will be running this country then. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yes. I bet on her. I mean, she, I think she's like four, but that's okay. I'll bet her right now. She's, yeah. <laughs> She, she's got a, uh, a a long lead on her peers. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so. but, wow. I'm so not going to be so hard on my kids in education now. I mean, I oh, always yeah. let them sort of learn their own things anyway. And my little one, just, my or my eldest one, she just loves to learn. Mm-hmm. And it's so exciting to watch, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. When they, but they just want to. They want to do it, and they want to absorb it in their own way. It's fun to watch a kid learn. Mm, you know I agree. I mean? Especially yeah. when they're learning something and you don't know what it is. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. It's yes. really fun. It's fun. You can almost see the thought process turning, you know, the brain turning things over. You can almost see it happening. And if you just watch them and watch what they do and so forth, you can find them processing their way through stuff. You don't necessarily even know what the stuff is, but you can see them doing yeah. it. And then, and then they make yeah. some sort of progress and they'll have some sort of a breakthrough and you'll realize, oh, that's what they were working on. Oh, okay. So you don't necessarily have the clues about what it is that they're actually, what the subject of it is, but you can see the yeah. process. The process is just stunningly obvious. Isn't it? I mean, I t- quite often turn my laptop on and she, pre- she plays teachers with her little sister. And I'll turn my laptop on and she's done a whole lesson plan and it's all about <laughs> Egypt and it's just incredible. And I'm like, I don't know this. Fair play. It's, right. you know, but having fun with it, yeah. which is just the main important thing, isn't it? And it's what those kids at that school are doing. Exactly. And it's what's stuck at a desk being told what to do isn't fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I know when I'm having fun, that's when I learn at my best. Right. That's when all of us do our best learning when we're having fun. Absolutely. One of the other things that the, the main school did is they put together a book of statistics, so to speak. Basically, they tracked all of the kids that went through for the first 20 years or so, something like that, and figured out, okay, how many of them came from a public school? How many of them came in originally to school? Um, how many of them went on to college? How many of them um, just went right into the business world or went, you know, got out of got a job at McDonald's or, you know, what is it they, they did as they left school and tracked it as well as they could and then compiled it into this statistics book is basically what it was. And one of the things I went through the statistics, no, the, stati- the statistics were raw statistics. They weren't compiled in any way. They weren't, yeah. they weren't drawing conclusions. They were just saying, okay, here's all the stuff. Here's all the data that we collected. So I took the data and I started adding it up and then I started comparing it. Now to an extent you have to kind of, make some assumptions because some things you can find online, some things you can't really find. And this was early online. This was, you know, turn of the millennium. So the internet was there, but it was, it wasn't quite as developed as it is today and so forth. So you could find some things, but you couldn't find everything you wanted. I could find enough to identify, for instance, what percentage of the population 
engages in entrepreneurial activity. And then I could compare it to what happened in the school. And what I found was a kid coming through the Sudbury school was three times more likely to become an entrepreneur than a kid coming through the public school. That doesn't surprise me. And kids coming out of the school, approximately 95% of them, of them knew what they wanted to do when they were leaving the school compared to a public school where if you're lucky, 50% knew what they wanted to do. Yeah. Because there's no boundary there, is there? There's no boundary and every single opportunity to explore everything that they love. Yeah. And so they had already, they had already done what so many people are trying to do in LOA circles today, find (laughs) their passion. It took me forever. There there are people who take courses in how to find their passion. These kids just (laughs) learned it. They just learned it just by going to school. (laughs) Do you know what? But doesn't it, couldn't they teach so many adults so much? Oh, God, yes. They really could. Oh, yes. There is so much we have to learn from kids. Yeah. The smart teachers, by the way, are the ones who know that. The good teachers, they're the ones who have figured that part out. Um, they're, they're still stuck within a system that requires them to follow curricula and so forth. But they also have learned how to kind of bend the thing around so that they can actually turn the tables and give the kids as much freedom as yeah. they can give. And, and that's yeah. to their credit. You know, they're, they're working in a system that works against them, but they still find a way to make some of it work, which is a good thing. Well, we, we all have that favorite teacher, don't we? And it's usually the one who mm. made the lessons fun. Yes. And they're the ones, oh, yes. they're the ones we remember and they were our favorite classes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And when it's fun, it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. When, I mean, I was always good at math. You know why I was good at math? Because my dad took the time to do flashcards with me when I was in second grade, third grade, just mm-hmm. practicing basic arithmetic. And so I got a head yeah. start on everybody else. And so when they were explaining, well, mo- I was bored with almost everything that was happening at school, but I was less bored with math. So I did well with math <laughs> because I wasn't quite as bored <laughs> as I was with the other stuff. <laughs> but that's, that's what I do with my kids. We've got math games mm-hmm. and we play them and my little one can't, well, she's just learning to do her math now, but we've got the abacus and we still use mm-hmm. the abacus so she can play that game. Yeah. And when I, when I was homeschooling, there's so many ways to do maths now, but I'm like, you're going to have to learn it mum's way because that's the only way I know. <laughs> <laughs> but we're doing like, um, we're doing sums and we're just like, just doing it like trying to make, okay, so we're going to have popcorn. Have we got enough popcorn? No. So let's go and ask tens. Let's go and ask hundreds. Have they got any popcorn? Has thousands got any popcorn? <laughs> and just trying to make it in something she can relate to and find mm-hmm. fun, mm-hmm. you know, and she's no longer that scared of maths. Her Good. confidence Good her. has grown from just, yeah. just having a bit of fun with it. Boy, that makes all the difference in the world. It really does. Mm. Oh, you've warmed my heart. Yeah. Well, this has been worth <laughs> really I mean, yeah, we didn't yeah. have Louie, but look what we did. Yeah. It's been a good show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for uh, the contributions you made, too, because it's, it's fun when you're exchanging this kind of stuff. You made that really good. Good stuff. Thank you also to our podcast listeners everywhere. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Good night.